I got the shotgun blues, shotgun blues. I don't know what I did, but I know I gotta move. Got the shotgun blues, shotgun blues. I don't know what I did, but I know I gotta move. Welcome to the Kingless Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal. I hope you're doing all right. It's kind of a rainy day here in Tokyo, and I have had a very kind of sleepless few days here, Uh, you know? I discovered firsthand how how much there is to various theories of what's that really crazy Twitter account that um, was saying, you know, people like no planes on 9-11 type people uh, will sometimes talk about a substance called loosh, which is people's engagement, people's emotional uh, engagement, that and that the ruling class is somehow collecting this and and this um, organ or whatever, <laughs> like, it's like vampiric uh, collecting of of uh, yeah engagement somehow of of the ruled right. Um, and there's really there's something to that kind of idea because there's a big release of all kinds of energy. Human beings are very connected living beings right we're, we're very connected in all kinds of ways that uh we don't completely understand i'm sure right and uh yeah <laughs> i didn't get a whole lot of sleep i'm a little bit sleep deprived i think i'm just coming back from it um yeah just reading all kinds of stuff i got a little bit uh, into it so you know naturally that means that uh with the assassination of abe shinzo the former prime minister the longest-serving prime minister of the neoliberal era, we might say, right? Sort of after Koizumi. Koizumi was a, a really big figure early in the neoliberal transition. Uh, he was the one that was most visibly buddy-buddy with George W. Bush. He had a kind of foppish, like, George Washington-type haircut. And he has some, some kind of liberal, like, feminist things and that he actually, like, played that role pretty convincingly, right? in a way that Abe never did, Uh, (laughs) as evidenced by the Hillary Clinton tweet and the reply to it. You know, I mean, he can't pull that off at all. Um, Even, yeah, I think nobody could possibly believe, think of Abe Shinzo as as being super feminist. Uh, Even though, of course, the LDP is running a lot of female politicians for elective office and also putting them in cabinets. He had a female uh, defense minister, as well right all these a common strategic move lately you know you put a woman female face in the in at the top of violent extractive uh hard power right organizations and it accomplishes uh certain things certain pr goals right well so okay he was assassinated on friday and that was uh that was really something huh um we've not had that I mean people are talking about how unprecedented it is but of course you know violence in Japanese you can read um Eiko Maruko Siniawa uh nationalist ruffians yakuza or something uh write a book about violence and in in modern Japan violence specialists is a ter- is a sociological term that she uses to talk about uh different kinds of gangsters different kinds of regional sort of strong men is what you have actually in the Meiji period during the transition to modernity, capitalist, capitalist modernity, right? Um, so uh, that, that's been a, a thread all along, though. I think, you know, there's a tendency, like with everything in Japan studies, there's a tendency to accentuate the uniqueness of Japan, and then I'm, I usually want to push back against that, right? And I think I would want to do that here, too, and say there's nothing unique about that having... Uh, organized crime playing uh, important roles uh, in the career of every politician. I mean, that's just, we know from recent episodes on this show that there's a great case to be made that that's how state power in the, in the first place and class power in the first place even gets started, right? Secret societies, people who are, you know, connected behind the scenes. And we've seen there's tons of that with Abe Shinzo, uh, well, we can go back. Should we start with um, Kishinobusuke? He's the known as, you know, Showa no Yokai, um, the, the monster of the Showa era. And uh, he was a colonial ruler of Manchuria. And then after the war, he pivoted fairly seamlessly to being a colonial administrator of Japan of, of some kind, right? 
you know, and you're getting all kinds of shit coding uh, coming out in the Japanese media too right now. Uh, you know, any kind of sort of anti-American sentiment and recognition of the true, uh, you know, way that Japan was not defascized, de you know, denazified, not the word here, right? Uh, it was not, it, and um, any consciousness of that is always shunted into places. You get a figure going on TV, uh, certain things. Right now it's Abema TV. Abema TV is free, and it's a streaming service. And so uh, with the economic downturn and, and continued controlled demolition of the middle class and the welfare state, people are going to... People are, are jumping ship from things like Netflix, Hulu, paid subscriptions, right? And so uh, getting into Abema, which is free, right? And, and their news program, they just had like a, a real kind of shit code artist on, I think, um, talking about how this is going to be the excuse to start the war. And, uh, you know, this was pointing out all the very suspect aspects of the assassination and also of the Unification Church, the involvement of the Unification Church or the Moonies, uh, which we'll have to get into as well. Just like that. Okay, yeah. So, but there's this guy on there on Abeman. He was doing that, and then he pivots to talking about Yudaya Kinyu Shihom, um, you know, Judeo uh, finance capital, right? Being the force that's behind this, right? So, there's lots of that. Uh, and, and anybody that has eyes to see that was to see the true aspects of that is going to get sucked into that sort of thing. That's like, yeah, depressingly, like, um, you, you can't get, you, you can't get a full pay. There's not many people that have like the full, um, true, uh, analysis, right. And, and principles and right. Uh, and and also willingness to see these uh, deliberate ruling class acts, right? You know, our res bourgeois respectable term that I use is parapolitics, of course, right? Um, So-called conspiracy, uh, which is a term that the CIA invented to discredit anyone engaging in class analysis. Very deliberately, there's a document which, you know, you could... There's a number on the document, you know, you could quote it directly and say, yeah, let's strategically... Uh, that's what it says. Let's we in the ma in the mass media everywhere. We need to strategically paint anyone engaging in class analysis as being a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So uh, anyway, like like in America, right? I mean, all of these the the full sort of picture uh, is kept fragmented, and deliberately we create people who only have part of the picture, and thereby. You know, therefore, they are unable to really uh, get it together. You know, and that's happening here too. Um, so yeah, quick the um, you know Kishinobusuke. That's the grandfather of Abe Shinzo, um, the grandfather of Asotaro, who is another very similar figure in the LDP, Jiu Minshuto, right, or Jiminto, the LDP, the the ruling uh, party for almost all of Japanese post-war history, right? That was started by Kishinobusuke, the grandfather of Abe Shinzo. Asotaro's grandfather is Yoshida Shigeru, another uh, big-time post-war, very American collaborationist uh, prime minister, post-war prime minister, who was also big in the wartime. And the one actual uh, sort of opposition party that's ever managed to take power is the DPJ, the Democratic Party of Japan, um, known as Minshuto, it's splintered recently into Riken Minshuto, and it's often just called Riken, uh, Riken Minshuto, Kokumi Minshuto, uh, whatever else, you know. And their most recent prime minister and most prominent leader now, Hatoyama Yukio, the Hatoyama family, uh, can be connected to Kodama Yoshio, the fixer and gangster who gathered in the post-war, he gathered a whole bunch of tungsten or so, some other metal that the U.S. Army really needed and thereby sort of made the big purchase, made the big sale uh, to get the three amigos uh, himself and Kishinobusuke and Sasakawa Ryoichi sort of um, re released from responsibility for what they were doing in the wartime. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I want to say so recent. Uh, so I think Program to Chill has has dealt with Hota Eddie's 
uh, work at some point. And I haven't read what was being under discussion there. Uh, it sounds like, you know, she's just regurgitating uh, extremely pro-establishment uh, positions on, um, was it Amakasu? Yeah, Amakasu. And that, I guess that kind of jives with my experience in a different way, because what I've read by her is the 1941 book about the starting the war. Uh, starting the war is, is the way it's framed, but it's only the war with America. So for her, like everything Japan was doing in China was just like, cool, fine. And the only bad thing was, you know, why did we have to pick a, a fight with the liberal democracies of Britain and America? You know, that's the only problem. Right. And so the good guys are all the like liberals in the cabinet and stuff. And, uh, you know, she does this move too, which, again, I always want to fight against, which is um, Japanese uniqueness. And, she, you know, it ends up like the war started just because of this perennial defect of Japanese character where, uh, you know, too sort of collectivistic and it's impossible for anyone to speak up in a group setting right you individually all the leaders works writing in their diaries you know we're totally going to lose we're, what are we going to do um but we it was already decided you know in the cabinet meeting before the emperor so we can't undo any of this you know and and, and so on um well you know the uh the actual thing that's happening all of these people made tons of money from the war and they didn't get punished afterwards by and large and you know when you look at that Actually, what the interpretation you get is it's not some defect of Japanese character. It's that, yeah, they pro they knew they were probably going to lose, but they also knew that they probably weren't going to get, uh, you know, uh, have anyone come after them for responsibility, right, after afterwards. So, you know, for the sake of capital, they were big capitalists, big business. Uh, they pushed the button. They, they pulled the trigger on the war. So, you know... Um, once again, the the idea of Japanese cultural uniqueness is going to lead you astray, is what I want to say, right? When the real picture is these people, right? And I think there's a lot of just uh, focus on Sasakawa Ryoichi, Kishinobusuke, and Kodama Yoshio. Kodama Yoshio, by the way, of course, can also be connected to the Hatoyama family, uh, right? Which got got caught in the Panama Papers or the Paradise Papers or something. I don't remember. Um, you'll have to look that up. Don't quote me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've been to their house, one of their mansions that they have open to the public uh, in Tokyo. And uh, I don't know. I'll just say there's uh, four big Minerva owls uh, sitting all along the, the roof of the house in the back, if you go in the back garden. It's all, and it's, and it's that owl. It's definitely that, that Minerva owl. Whatever that means, I don't know. Uh, it's very demonstrable, you know, the Hatoyama Yukio uh, cabinet and his administration, right, was a, was a just blatant display of the Japanese bureaucratic establishment and everything, the whole machine behind the scenes and in front of the scenes hit the brakes so hard on all of their campaign promises to renegotiate the American security agreement and status of forces agreement, all of this, right? Um, you know, and, and that's another thing that's really big and at stake here, yeah? So Japan has a constitution that is pacifist, supposedly, and the position of the Japanese Communist Party, for example, is supposedly, you know, all along they've been saying, you know, protect Article 9, protect the pacifist constitution, Right. And uh, I mean, the naming Riken Minshuto as well for that particular, the largest faction of the Democratic Party also is is branding in this way. Right. Riken means like, um, you know, constitutional. Yeah, I think that's a translation. Constitutional Democratic Party. Right. Enforce the Constitution. Well, you know, the Constitution was already overturned in like 1947, 48 or something when the American army commanded that the JSDF, the Japanese Self-Defense Forces, Jietai in Japanese, right? The Jietai, when it was when it was founded uh, already, the, the Supreme Court ruled, yes, this violates the Constitution. But the status of forces agreement with America is a higher law than the Constitution. So it doesn't fucking matter. Right. That's already happened at the beginning. So um, all of this hope that is placed in Article 9 is, seems a little strange. Uh, what is really scary, though, is that the LDP has their draft uh, changes in the Constitution, 
They're introducing, uh, you know, make the prime minister commander in chief of the armed forces. And they have a state of emergency provision, which would suspend all human rights. uh, And also putting in a a clause that says uh, that citizens have a duty to be uh, uh, loyal to the government, loyal to the country, patriotic or something. Yeah. Um, you can the details of all this. You could get uh, Gavin McCormick, uh, who's still sharp. You know, he's just ro- cranking out articles all the time. Japan Pacific Forum, I think. Um, he, his book Client State is about the neoliberalization. Uh, largely, it's about that, but it's all you know. It, it's it's a great. T- it's depressing to see just how the U.S. says jump and Japan says how high all through the 90s, all through the aughts. And he takes you through the beginning of really neoliberalization, which was later, right? I think they they didn't feel safe yet until the Soviet Union was really gone to do this in Japan. They didn't, because Japan, again, is is just a few steps behind the front line of the Cold War. So it has a different position. You know, it's unique. It it is allowed a lot of democracy. It has to be like a showcase of American democracy in a non-Western context. Right. Uh, yet it is still very close to uh, the front lines, you know, so it, but it doesn't have as much authoritarian, open authoritarian, right wing fascist um, puppet state uh, qualities as the Republic of Korea and as uh, Taiwan. Right. Uh, that was much, that was, you know, so, OK, uh, so that's yeah, one thing that I wanted I was trying to show there, you know, is like. Asotaro Yoshida Shigeru. Um, Abe Shinzo is connected to Kishinobusuke. He's also connected to Sato Eisaku. Sato Eisaku negotiated the so-called return of Okinawa. Although, of course, the interpretation documents, the, the notes that are left from meetings between MacArthur and Emperor Hirohito in the after, immediate aftermath of the war are very damning. Uh, Hirohito is on record saying, you know, oh, my people are marked by a willingness to be led and uh, I think the uh, occupation should last a long time they should be fully reformed under the influence of the Anglo-Saxons uh, as represented by the United States um, you know so a little little glimpse that he of his uh, subscription to some race uh, racial ideas that uh, you do see around like really high like you know sky high bourgeois type circles right You'd be surprised the kind of ideas they believe in. And then he also says, basically, we'll give you Okinawa under the fiction of a long-term lease, and you can return it. You can pretend to return it, uh, but basically, we'll just give that to you. You know, we don't really care about that. Um, which is interesting in the light of all kinds of, you know, ter- they make fierce territorial claims recently over the Senkaku or Diaoyu Islands, right? Well, you know, they didn't care about it so much there, and they also didn't care about it so much uh, in the immediate run-up to the Ryukyu Shobun in 1870, 18, late 1870s, isn't it? Uh, when they made uh, Okinawa a prefecture, whereas before, of course, Ryukyu was a semi-independent uh, kingdom. Right. I mean, it was fully independent at a certain point. It was conquered in 1609 by Satsuma province of Japan. And then uh, that but still continued to function under Chinese uh, investiture diplomacy. Right. They would receive investiture missions whenever there was a new Ryukyu and king. Uh, but then they also would send congratulation missions uh, to Edo for the shogunate, and Ed, and of course Edo was involved there too. That relationship was supposedly kept officially secret from China. They have like a double relationship that probably everybody is content to ignore as an open secret. You know, that's early modern Ryukyu. That's an o- a whole interesting topic. Uh, but yeah, so then Ryukyu gets turned into Okinawa Prefecture. But before that, they were totally... Uh, ambiguous as to whether they even wanted it. You know, they considered all kinds of different moves when they were talking. They were actually negotiating with Ulysses S. Grant, former U.S. president, who was in the area as a colonial administrator in the Philippines as well, right? You have the gentleman's agreement. America acquires the Philippines. Japan acquires Korea at about the same time, you know, and there's an interesting kind of uh, argument about latecomer colonialism is what it's called. 
you know, unlike France and Britain, who are just kind of randomly sending the second, third sons of the nobility and also all other kinds of sketchy people, chancers who can't really make it uh, in their own country, they go and uh, abroad and, and have their colonial adventures and build their colonial merchant networks kind of by chance. And, and then the military power comes in later to protect that. Well, you know, play, one like Japan and America, they already know what the game is and so you get military bases in first and america refines it further where you know we only really want to put our military bases in and we're not super interested in governance as long as we would have a uh monopoly ultimately on the use of force in internationally in the area and therefore we can control trade and so on it's about controlling capital isn't it it's about controlling capital uh, and another innovation is there is that they send their best and brightest. It's not just random guys, right? Uh, you get Forbes, whatever uh, Baltimore banker that the Forbes magazine is named after, uh, that Donald Trump liked to be spanked with by Stormy Daniels, isn't it? I forget. Yeah, so Tr Forbes, the Forbes guy, he, he goes to the Philippines as a colonial administrator. And to Korea, Japan sends Ito Hirobumi, who's a four-time prime minister. And you get Ulysses S. Grant, right? You get the introduction of the Koseki system of family registers in Korea. Um, you get the introduction of the U.S. Census in the Philippines before you get it in the U.S. These new technologies of governance are being tried out in the colonies, right? Cutting-edge stuff. You try it in the colonies and then you bring it home, right? Rather than uh, the reverse with latecomer colonialism, okay? So... All of that is to say, uh, you know, the emperor basically uh, in conversations with MacArthur privately promised that America could have Okinawa sort of forever. Um, and it remains an extremely uh, oppressed and exploited internal colony of Japan and also, right, the place where the greatest concentration of U.S. military bases is in Japan, although Japan is just riddled with U.S. military installations Right. Eight different bases in the in the Tokyo area alone, any of which any U.S. service personnel up to and including the president can waltz right into the country without any customs procedures whatsoever. Um, just yeah. So I think so with that then I've introduced the kind of main lineages here. Uh, Sasako Ryoichi's lineage is uh, maybe another one. Uh, th that's most interesting because where does his lineage lead? It leads to the Moonies. It leads to... So the Moonies, uh, I've been seeing people uh, introducing that as a South Korean cult. South Korean. Uh, okay, well, it's most of the money comes from Japan. Most of the money comes from Sasaka or Ryoichi. And I, I, my little theory is that maybe in the post-war fascist international... It was felt that the lack of a, an organization corresponding to the Vatican in the Far East. So, in you know, you have, yeah, it it provides maybe some of the same sorts of services, and it's an extremely international thing. It's an extremely global thing. If you really dig into the Moonies, and you should maybe start with the Wackle episodes of the Farm. There's a, there's a podcast called The Farm. Uh, one of their main hosts is called Recluse. And their episodes on Wackle, the World Anti-Communist League, of which uh, the Unification Church was a part of the Japanese arm of that, which is known as Shokyo Rengo. Uh, normally, anti-communism would be Hankyo, but Sho, that Sino-Japanese morpheme, means... Uh, victory, so it's like victory over communism organization, uh, and even today they they broadcast on YouTube under like Shokyo uh, Unite, Shokyo Unite, Unite being in Roman letters, right? And they broadcast propaganda aimed at Japanese people featuring Ukrainian leaders saying this is why the Japanese constitution is a little bit strange. You should really change it so that you can fight and be uh, an American. Uh, kamikaze puppet just like uh, ukraine is right directly very directly shokyo unite check it out oh and before i get beyond the the stuff about hirohito too far 
Uh, Gavin McCormick's latest book is called The State of the Japanese State, latest as far as I know. Uh, and that contains that, contains references to all the citations of, for that. Uh, sort of lar- longer conversation between Hirohito and MacArthur about Japan's sort of destiny after the war. Uh, and and if you read that, you really do get a sense as well of just how, you know, again, um, recently a, a good read, uh, one of the Twitter accounts that I, I follow and, and kind of respect for some angles is... Uh, said something like, uh, you know, Japan keeps on, America keeps on, watches Japan sort of edging away slowly, right? The leaders of Japan in their heart of hearts, when they talk to each other, the real big guys, um, to the extent that there are real big guys here, are uh, preparing to pivot to China at some point, watching the U.S. collapse. Right. And America is, sees this and is getting panicked and is making Japan uh, step on fumie. That's an image for uh, comes from the persecution of Christianity under, in the Edo period. Every year and the New Year, uh, citizens suspected of being Christians, uh, people who were uh, members of registered c- former Christian families, which, would, which were followed and, and subject to special surveillance for nine generations afterward. Uh, they would even be buried. Uh, you know, there's a weird kind of respect. They would be buried in the in the Christian manner with a sar- stone sarcophagus and put a stone on top of them, supposedly to keep them from uh, rising from the dead spontaneously, which is something Christians might do at any moment. So it's like you know, you could talk about a Spanish or Portuguese auto da fe, right, where you have to get in front of everyone and do some kind of ritual that confirms that you are loyal, right? It's about confirming loyalty. And what are the things? So, you know, one thing that was really striking is that in May, May 23rd, I happen to remember, Biden just in a speech suddenly says, Japan needs to set up a branch of the United States Center for for Disease Control uh, in Japan. And and I think, and this will be under the control of the U.S., and they will give... Um, recommendations, you know, the exact specifics, like how binding is this going to be, uh, is are yet to be hammered out. But basically in Japan, you know, there's a kind of hybrid which for the, you know, from a kind of liber, liberty perspective, right, not that that's everything, uh, but it's, I, I kind of dig it the way that here, you know, there were strict lockdowns a bit, a lot more than in most other places. Uh, there was more done to stop the spread at the same time, the vaccines were completely voluntary, and uh, you know all kinds of businesses, all the government as well, is on record saying no one is going to be forced to do anything. Uh, the it's about eighty percent of people have at least one shot at this point, is what they announce, right? So, and the government was pressured into buying just like ten shots per Japanese citizen of the Pfizer vaccine, which they've got in cold storage somewhere. So um, that's fun. Uh, But, you know, clearly it's thought, it's felt on the American side that the Japanese pandemic response is not enough like the American uh, one, however you want to interpret that, right? And so they're they're like, we're going to put a Centers for Disease, we're going to put a branch of the CDC um, to tell you what your government has to do. Uh, and they say, okay, yes, um, we will have, you know, the Koike Yuriko, the governor of Tokyo uh, Prefecture, Tokyo Metropolis, uh, when it has just announced, I think, that it'll be ready by uh, October, I think she promised. So, um, yeah, America says jump, Japan says how high. Um, and, and yet, though, the feet, if you watch their feet, what are they doing? They're shuffling to the side and they're backing away slowly. And so America's coming in with these big asks, right? The anti-Russian sanctions, right? The, um, you know, Japan is going all in on that and feeling the economic effects of it. But at the same time, you know, on the surface, the TV praises the war against ukraine they're they're broadcasting all the cute little white uh children blonde haired blue eyed and speculating about all the uh horrible 
things that Putin would love to do to them and, and so on, right? Uh, but everybody's definitely feeling the pain and definitely talking about how, you know, how long are we going to do this? Is this really, we're really going to keep on, you know, destroying our economy for the sake of America's grudge against Russia, which the Japanese elite are not super anti-Russian, you know, the kind of anti-Russian sentiment, right? And that kind of brings me to a, a big clue about the meaning of the assassination, which is that Abe was not, he, I don't know if you could call him a dove on Russia, but he was definitely not the kind of anti-Russian, you know, rabid anti-Russian uh, stance that a Japanese Zelensky would have to take is not something that could ever happen as long as he is a prominent figure in the LDP, I think. Uh, he definitely screams about China, too. But, you know, in the end, doesn't he belong to an older generation that is used to the post-war stasis? And sure, you scream about things, but, you know, that's not our role to really, like, you know, go into it, to jump into the fray. You know, the whole appeal of the American security arrangement is like, oh, this is why we don't have to think about military stuff. This is why we don't we can be peaceful because we have oh, America's just, you know, handling it for us. Well, pretty soon, you know, it looks like that bill is coming due, isn't it? And so, yeah, let's get on the table right now uh, with the counter sanctions that Russia put on Japan just recently. Abe was not one of the leaders who was banned from Russia at that time. All right. And he also is on record saying that the Ukraine war was started by Zelensky. Zelensky's actions provoked it. Okay. And the reaction of the Russian government, Russian statements of Russian officials, definitely track with this idea. Vladimir Putin says, The hand of a criminal cut short the life of an outstanding statesman who headed the Japanese government for a long time and did a lot to develop good neighborly relations between our countries. Putin wrote in a telegram of condolence addressed to Abe's family. We maintained regular contacts with Shinzo, in which his excellent personal and professional qualities were fully demonstrated. The bright memory of this wonderful man will forever remain in the hearts of all who knew him. I wish you and your family strength and courage in the face of this heavy, irreparable loss. Foreign Ministry spokesman Maria Zakharova says, we're convinced that those who planned and committed this monstrous crime will incur due responsibility for this act of terrorism, for which there is no justification and no excuse. Planned and committed. Those, plural, who planned and committed. Let's think of, I just want to remember that. And I suppose this would be as good a time as any to stress uh, what was the re result of this. Uh, voting times were shortened around the country pushed back. Uh, closing times of polls were pushed back uh, before 8 o'clock p.m. And eventually the LDP uh, won a landslide victory. They got their two-thirds majority in their coalition to go ahead, which is what they need to go ahead and change the constitution. So that would be the answer to the cui bono question. I think a big one, big part of it. Okay. Um, yeah, there was that interesting thing with um, Kojima Hideo, the, the Konami game designer, was suddenly, you know, and, and all kinds of outlets picked this up. Uh, I, I think they can do fact-checking. They can tell. I, sometimes this is a, a warning to that particular person for some reason, you know. I don't know. Um, the first, one of the first things we learned about the shooter was that he was former SDF, um, naval sdf i'd be interested to know more about his specific role that that's a on my wish list of information was he in navy naval intelligence what was he in exactly right uh yeah so his mother the the story is got big debts went big in big with the unification church the moonies and uh however and and so then as yeah as a grudge against them you know they are basically the religious arm the the boots on the ground you know um there's mm, the the for elections for one thing you know electioneering in Japan often has religious organizations involved in it all the all of these parties you know the LDP 
using the Moonies in this way is something that is being broadly understood for the first time in a lot of quarters now. But of course, it's much better known that Soka Gakkai, the kind of um, Lotus, modern Lotus uh, school, new new religion, uh, it's much better known the way that they require their members to basically go and canvas and, and whatever for the Komeito, the Komeito is the kind of liberally branded uh, coalition partner of the LDP. And Komeito will make a show of taking an anti-nuclear stance or being against, at first they were against revising the Constitution and getting rid of Article 9, right? And and in, by doing that, they soak up sort of potential, maybe potential left-wing votes and then just pump that straight back into the LDP, Right. Um, so it's bu- it's much better understood how Soka Gakkai works for them. And Soka Gakkai has some some skeletons in their closet, um, bodies that turn up not just in Japan, but in, in like California, places where they uh, expand internationally, too. Right. But so now, yeah, Unification Church, I'm just having to learn much more about them. I didn't know so much myself. But again, you can trace them all over the world, every continent except Antarctica, maybe. And maybe, I don't know, maybe even Antarctica. So again, it's definitely not just a South Korean thing at all. And there, well, the way you should understand any South Korean thing is not as just a South Korean thing, as, but as actually a resurrected Japanese imperial thing. That's what happened immediately when the war ended and the, the actual liberation was began. The Korean people voted to found a People's Republic of Korea, which was based on all these decentralized socialist people's councils all across the country in the north as well as the south. And then MacArthur uh, jumped in there and imposed on the southern half of the archipelago this puppet regime, which was composed entirely of collaborators with the Japanese empire. So it's all old Japanese empire networks all the way down in South Korea. And they still were in the hands largely of their Japanese handlers still from the imperial period. So, okay, you got to understand the Japanese elite were left in place. The South Korean elite were left in place. And the relationship between the South Korean elite and the Japanese elite was left in place. So, like, you know, something like the Moonies, when it's founded, you know, it has most of the budget coming from Sasakawa Ryoichi. And those old colonial relationships are are still in place. So that from the start there, you know, you can read uh, the best person to read is Bruce Cummings. He's written all kinds of books. He's written on even like American Manifest Destiny ideology in general. I really want to read that book. But uh, he's the best uh, that I've seen for understanding the larger picture there. So that yeah. Oh, and then the son. Okay. So here's the wild thing. The, the mother, right, of the, the shooter apparently was angling for a leadership position and, and kind of lost all her money and stuff. She threw, over, threw away like a, over a million dollars and the family sort of negotiated with them to get some of the money back even. And then she went and threw it back to them too. And, you know, the kids were abused growing up. There's little lines in, in various articles about this. Uh, the the press conference that a spokesman gave was full of contradictions. He sort of like admitted, yeah, we, well, we didn't know about their their financial situation. We didn't know that she was giving all her money to the church. Well, yeah, but we knew, you know, that that. And of course, their trainees, you know, the uh, the trainee meetings. Uh, one of the phrases they teach them is Hayaku Genkin or HG. Uh, so hurry up and get the cash. Hurry up and get cash from them. You know, so they know that they're uh, they've been in legal trouble uh, many times for, you know, sort of selling. They would tell people that, you know, their dead relatives were in trouble in the spirit world and they needed to pay certain amounts of money to get get them out and so on. You know, it's a, it's quite a, a racket. So that aspect of it was kind of on full display uh, as the spokesman was kind of twisting in the wind there. And uh, even though they they excluded all but the most pliable kind of uh, outlets from the press conference and the people who were excluded were all protesting outside of it. Right. So but anyway, the the mother like gave away all the family money. Uh, Then the son, though, he 
he leaves maybe the Unification Church. He's a member of the Sanctuary Church, which is the splinter church that's uh, run by Sean Moon, one of the sons of, of Moon Sun Myung, the original leader. Right. And that's also known as Rod of Iron Ministries in English, I think. You know, he's the guy that you might have seen pictures of with a bullet, uh, a, go- a crown made of gold bullets and carrying a gold plated AK 47. And whereas the old moon used to do big mass weddings, that was a big stunt he used to do. Uh, the Sean moon has like weddings with AK 47s. Everyone's holding guns and it's kind of like gun worship. Uh, they also own gun manufacturers, of course, right? In addition to having their hands in, you know, drug trafficking, assassinations, death squads, just all over the world, you know, and which is why I think it kind of functions as kind of like the Vatican bank or something for the Pacific. So, um, get a vertical integration there. Uh, so, but the son, yeah, he's a member of the sanctuary, okay, Rod of Iron Ministries. And then just this morning, a picture came out of him receiving a blessing directly from Sean Moon, wearing the golden bullet crown on June 29th. So just like a week before the assassination, he literally got a blessing directly from the leader. You think he was just uh, off out in left field, you know, off some go, going, uh, you know, off by himself here? What do you think? And uh, it came out that he had practiced with his, his little gun uh, out in the mountains, sure enough. So I, you know, that was kind of my old stomping grounds are not too far from Nara City. Uh, and those deep, deep mountains just to the south of there where you could go up a logging road or something and, you know... There's not even cell phone reception at all out there, uh, or there wasn't at least back when, you know. Like I mentioned, I used to do hikes down the the old, like, Kumano Kodo, the old um, hike, like, pilgrimage routes up on the tips of those, up on the, the ridges of those mountains, right? There's ancient uh, pilgrimage routes, and uh, it's really amazing up there. It's like a whole different ecosystem. There's all different plants and animals, and it really is very magical, uh, so, but, you know, you could go there and practice with a gun, for example, and nobody would know. And he also practiced on a church facility, which turned out to be, you know, at first I thought, oh, does that mean he was like using, they gave him permission to like use it to practice or something? Uh, is this sanctuary church or is this unification church? Uh, well, I think it looks like it was a unification church facility and he shot at it from the street shortly before going and, and doing the assassination, apparently to practice with his, uh, his gun. There, there are holes in the wall, and they're showing, they are showing that. There's holes maybe made by ball bearings. Is it shooting ball bearings, little nails? Uh, it's unclear. So uh, maybe that does bring us to the actual scene of the assassination, uh, because another thing that the press conference was, say, was admitting was that Unification Church members, there were many, many Unification Church members at that campaign event. And it gradually sort of comes out from the guy that, oh, yeah, they're mostly, most of the members of the crowd were uh, Unification Church members that were doing their usual duty of like showing up and being what they call sakura. You know, you be uh, being cherry trees. You play the cherry tree means that you go and, and act as uh, scenery at an event to, to, fill out a crowd basically you know and people can be paid to do this and so on now of course the only thing that the guy at the press conference would say was like oh they must have just individually in their capacity as private citizens decided to all come together and uh, attend that event receive no direction from us so there's lots of pictures now of the shooter walking around behind Abe and eventually right he comes pulls out the gun and does a first shot after which Abe is clearly not hit. No, but nothing has really happened, but and Abe looks over his shoulder, looks at the shooter. And at that moment, his collar suddenly flies open as if a great, you know, and there was somebody saying, you know, that's the shock wave from the first blast of the, the shotgun is reaching there the wind or something. Um, 
you know, but in the video, there is, you can see a, very distinctly, a black dot appears in a single frame uh, diagonally above him the moment before his collar blasts open like that. And then you get the, and at that same time in the video, uh, there is a, a sound that is maybe distinct from the second boom. It's a little smaller, more high-pitched kind of uh, crack. Okay, and then you get the second boom from the shotgun, and that's when he uh, falls down, right? Just a moment after the, the collar thing and the smaller noise, right? And, you know, and then the moment after that is when the security guards finally come up and hold up their little placards of, like, bulletproof material that they have, you know? They have, like, Kevlar, little Kevlar plates or something around their necks that they pull out and hold up in front of him, but it's too late, right? Apparently. Apparently, one of these was, there was a, a something struck, one of those, uh, but no picture of that has been released. So notice, you know, there's is a question. Is there proof that anything was actually coming out of the shooter's gun? Other than the, you know, the only thing that, that we've actually seen that supposedly that gun damaged is the outside of a, a Unification Church building that supposedly he practiced at or practiced on, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting, the, the photographs, let me also just note, the photographs of them subduing the shooter, uh, whose name is Yamagami Tetsuya, by the way, Yamagami Tetsuya. Um, so, yeah, Yamagami is being tackled and stuff. In the background of that... Uh, there is a woman who is in the strangest position you can imagine. Uh, she has like fallen. I, you know, you, at first you think, did she back, move backwards and trip over something and fall like onto her uh, shoulder and, and back of her head area and land like that? And her, her legs are straight up in the air at a right angle to the rest of her body. And it looks like she has just fallen like that. Um, toward the Abe, toward Abe and moving backwards with respect to her own body, right? But facing away from Abe. So it was like she got surprised by something that was on the other side from Abe and, and shocked backward, like toward Abe. And she would be behind Yamagami, the shooter, but again, also falling toward the shooter. Just the strangest thing by the way i'll just i'll just highlight that you know is that something you could do to like attract attention of security guards have a woman just totally wipe out in this way and it's people are gonna look there and not look somewhere else just a thought so now i'm gonna read you this is a really important part i'm gonna read you directly from the article in the asahi newspaper from the press conference given by the doctors who treated Abe. So I'll read you the original and I'll translate it. According to the hospital in Abe's uh, neck, in the, on the right side, in the front, on the front side of his neck, uh, there were two small bullet holes uh, about five centimeters apart, two small bullet holes. The bullets, uh, so, Judan ga kubi kara tainai ni hairi, shinzo to kyobu no daikekkan o sonsho shita to mirareru. The bullets entered the body from the neck, and it seems that they uh, destroyed, uh, they, they harmed, they hurt, they hit his heart, and uh, the big arteries in his chest. Shinzo no kabe ni wa okina anaga aiteita to you. Doctors say that there was a big hole in his heart. Hidari kata ni judan ga tsukan shita to mirareru kizu ga hitotsu atta to you. Tainai kara judan wa hakken sarete inai to you. In his left shoulder, there is a uh, wound that is thought to be an exit wound of a, of a bullet that went through his body. And uh, from his body, no bullets were recovered. 
No bullets were recovered. So again, we have bullet hole on the top, on the front, on the top of his shoulder, on the front. On the right side, remember, he's looking over his shoulder to his left, looking back and actually exposing precisely that right shoulder, um, not to the, the shooter, but uh, to the opposite direction. And those two bullets actually go down into his body, opened a big hole in his heart. Okay. Uh, that would be consistent with that black dot that suddenly appears one frame before his collar blows open, right where apparently those wounds were, right? And that's the opposite of what you would expect. You know, even you think, oh, he's looking over his shoulder, sure, but still it, it would be on the back of his neck if the actual, like, Yamagami's actual shotgun had hit him. Not to mention, of course, such a bullet would not go down and hit his heart. It would enter the shoulder and probably graze the shoulder and then come out the front of his body. And it would be on the left because he's looking back to his left. He's exposing his right side and the front only to, you know, his front. Which, if you follow, if you trace where uh, a line would go from his neck to through that black dot you would arrive right in front of him. There's a Nanto Ginko, so Nanto Bank of the Southern Capital, Bank of Nara uh, building. And then actually behind that, there's a Risona Bank building. And it looks like actually maybe the top of that building, the second building in, uh, moving away from where he was speaking and, and straight in front of him, right? Uh, up on the roof there is where such a bullet would have come from, where a uh, sniper or someone could have been. Okay, so that's that's the core of what I have to say straight from the doctor's press conference, just as it was reported in the Asahi newspaper, one of Japan's major, major newspapers. Right. Um, sometimes it's thought to be like left wing, you know, sometimes right wingers will accuse it of being a communist rag the same time same way that they might accuse the New York Times of the same. Right. But it, I mean, it's just a very establishment extremely mainstream, extremely normy publication, okay? Basically, the Yomi Uri and the Asahi are the two really big ones. You know, there's Sanke Shimbun, Mainichi Shimbun, maybe two, but, you know, that's that's the real core of the Japanese establishment press. Uh, that's what they say, okay? On the front of his body. So he did turn around for a moment there, right? So you could imagine, okay, maybe it you know, this is something hit him when you turned around and looked at the shooter, and that's right when the second boom happens, too. Uh, but why does it go down into his heart and out his left, the back of his left shoulder? His left shoulder is the part that he's he's turning toward Yamagami, you know? What the doctors actually reported would be consistent with being hit diagonally from the top on the right, comes out the back on the left, Okay. So again, if there were other shooters using maybe more advanced weaponry to make sure that the job got done, including maybe somehow bullets that, that aren't found, I don't know. I mean, the kind of doctor that would be called upon in a case like this also would not probably be likely to get out of line and say anything, and they'll, they'll only search for as, to find what they're supposed to find also. But, uh, you know, if it's in the larger case, right? Which this is pointing to, isn't it? This is pointing to the idea that this is a larger thing that's orchestrated and somebody made sure that, you know, even if that, uh, if that little homemade shotgun even was shooting anything except smoke and noise, which is not suggested. There, nobody was wounded. Nobody else was wounded in the crowd. There's no kind of, right? Like only, it only hits Abe. Okay, you know. So this looks like a bigger thing, right? And I think I could end here, but just to tie this together, let me repeat my assessment of the international situation over here, which is that America is getting more and more desperate here in all kinds of ways, all right? Oh, another kind of weird little move of like, you know, sort of negging and, and begging on America's part vis-a-vis -vis Japan, uh, you get sort of CDC, oh, you're going to start a CDC office. And uh, we're also going to give you, let's give you a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. Okay, buddy? You know, all of a sudden Biden just says this and 
And then you have the burden of Russian sanctions. Yeah, do the Russian sanctions. Do, do this. Jump through this hoop. Jump through that hoop. Right? At the same time as, like, offering all kinds of random uh, concessions, you know. And I think the larger context, America is searching for the Ukraine of the Pacific. They need another country, another patsy of a different kind over here in East Asia to fuck with China, to really get a war going with China. Because neither Korea nor Taiwan is going to just jump into that without a big old push on their backside, which Japan could totally provide. Um, and or just open another flank on, on Russia too, right? But you can't just do that with Taiwan or with Korea. You know, there's the recent poll of South Koreans. What happened? What would you want if America, without permission, suddenly attacked uh, Northern Korea? Well, uh, almost half say we would not participate in attacking Northern Korea. We would defend it. And then uh, something like 30% said, let's attack Japan. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I think there would be strong, strong opposition to using Korea, to Korea itself being a Ukraine, right? Or Taiwan itself being a Ukraine. But when you, when you throw Japan in the mix, well, then more things can happen, right? And there are plenty of rabid fascist leaders in the LDP who are younger, right? And, you know, a lot of the, the kind of actors and models and, and people that they were getting elected in recent years and got elected this time again in this election, there you could get a Zelensky and you could and you do have uh, quite a lot of Japanese populace that is, you know, as propagandized as America, it's very easy as an American here to, to be like, oh, look at these people. But there's something racist about that. Again, you know, oh, Japanese people are so easily propagandized. Aren't, is it only them? Huh? I don't know. You know, it's hard to say which is worse, America or, or Japan in this regard. But yes, I have. And, and it's, you know, I'll be honest, um, like I'm out about the fact that I'm a professor of Japanese literature at a sleepy little university in Tokyo. And I have belonged to sort of global whatever uh, programs where things are taught in English and then also teaching in Japanese. I'm, I have to say, I'm, I'm so, I, I like so much more teaching in Japanese because uh, first, the kinds of students who self-select to enter these English programs. Um, one thing I'll say is that like, you know, the, the critical thinking skills um, are not something that those students are, are really interested in, you know? I mean, you'll give them some something, and they just literally, like, they'll read a text, like, oh, it's a text, so therefore everything that this text says is just, like, th the truth. Anything that anyone says is truth. No one, people don't say things that aren't true, and you don't, like, it's just really um, bleak sometimes. I think really what it is is, like, uh, this is a text that's in English, right? Anything that anyone t says in English, this is, English is the ultimate truth discourse. And so, you know, you could give them, oh, I don't know, <laughs> Mein Kampf, you could give them whatever, uh, whatever horrible thing. If it's written in English, it'll just be like, oh, I'm so glad to learn this true uh, knowledge, right? I think in the Japanese, teaching in Japanese is way more rewarding, actually, you get People who are both maybe of a, of a lower class position or a different kind of, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have that same kind of ambition or whatever, right? Um, may also be downwardly mobile, but then, you know, they'd be uh, open to actually understanding the world as opposed to just, you know, striking this pose of I'm speaking English and hoping that they'll get an international job. Even though, of course, the reality is that in all likelihood, they're going to end up in call centers. They're going to end up being uh, personal digital assistants, like the uh, lady in the Philippines who does all the work of the one uh, CEO in Silicon Valley who was bragging about that, right? You know, I get to go surfing every morning. I write poetry. I read books. And uh, my personal digital assistant does everything uh, for me that could ever be described as work. And then if you really want to get bleak, you know, of course, there's the phenomenon of the, the virtual cashier who's in a whole other country, right? And they just appear on a screen uh, in front of the, the checkout line even. So I think that kind of impoverishment uh, definitely looms for Japan as it does for Europe for similar reasons. Uh, but And it could be even worse if we end up being part of a, a mechanism, probably multi-country mechanism, to uh, 
to trigger a, a Ukraine type war over here as well. Which, no love for Abe Shinzo and everything that he represents, but if my hunches about this event being a motivated thing are correct, well then, it will be because having Abe Shinzo around and his sort of, his more complex uh, and nuanced stance on Russia and his membership in an older guard that was fundamentally only interested in being a, a barking kind of, you know, guard dog for the U.S. Uh, and not actually, he wouldn't actually pull the trigger on war, even with China. There is that theory. I, I would kind of be sympathetic to that. Uh, so that means, you know, he was eliminated and now the way is maybe clear to search for the Zelensky of Japan. I'm Fergal Schmoodlock, and I have anointed you with the anointing of the kingless generation.